This episode of Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a 30-day trial of their audiobook subscription service. When you sign up, you'll even receive a free audiobook that's yours to keep whether or not you continue with Audible after your trial has expired. That's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. We are the Popcorn Poops. Welcome to Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Dustin, and with me as always is my lovely, beautiful, radiant wife. Wow, listen to all those adjectives. <laughs> lots lots, and lots of adjectives this week, um, including mad. Isn't that appropriate? It is appropriate, but I'm not mad. No, no, not yet, but uh, you might be after watching this movie. Maybe. Considering that this is the second time that we've had to record this particular uh, episode of right, the Popcorn Right, which makes Boost this podcast. like the fourth or fifth time I feel like I've watched this movie in, in the past, so many days. Yeah, in the past yeah, uh, five or six days or however long that we've been re- uh, studying this movie and reviewing it for the show. Uh, but yeah, so we're... Uh, we're back again this week. This is actually a, kind of a landmark week for the Popcorn Poops podcast. This is our 50th episode. It is. So is that is that a milestone? Does that count as a milestone? Yeah, I think so. We're past our one year anniversary, technically, since we started in like late June last year. Mm-hmm. But we took a hiatus, so we kind of missed our one year anniversary. And we didn't do like the full 52 weeks that, you know, would constitute, you know, a full year. So we'll just count 50 episodes as our as our first milestone right yeah i think it's a pretty good milestone as always you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com uh you can follow us on twitter like us on facebook and subscribe to us on itunes and stitcher and uh sign up for our forums we got we got forums going on they're very simple very stripped down raw if you will forums uh and we've got some good conversations going on over there uh that's also where we make a lot of announcements and things uh so head on over to our website to sign up for our forums This month, uh, our monthly theme is Franchise Originals. Now, to explain, if a movie came out this summer theatrically that is part of a franchise of movies, that that means if it was a sequel, a remake, uh, a reboot, a prequel, anything like that, it qualifies it for this month's theme. This week is my pick, and we are doing George Miller's 1979 film Mad Max. Now, if you uh, want to sync this episode up to the movie and watch the movie along with us talking to it, you can absolutely do that, uh, just like all of our episodes. Uh, If you are going to be a syncer for this episode, please pause the movie right after the title card reading Kennedy Miller Present completely fades to black. Pause as soon as that fades to black, and we will get back to that in just a moment. But first, Jessica, I think you're going to read a review that we received on iTunes. Is it iTunes this week? Yeah, it's iTunes. Okay, so please go ahead and read that review. Okay, this review is titled Fantastic Podcast for Movie Nerds, and it's by Amy McBro. This podcast makes me feel like I'm watching movies with my best friends at home. Great commentary and fun trivia throughout. I have yet to sync the podcast with the movie, have only listened to them as standalone episodes, but haven't felt that I have missed anything by doing so. Highly recommend this one for all movie buffs. So and that was a you. five star? It was a five star. That's excellent. If you Which want, is my favorite that, number of that's, stars. Yes, of all of the stars that we could have, uh, unless we could get more stars if than five. If we could five. get more stars, that would be great. But I don't think we can. If you can break the system and give us six stars, that would be super cool. Yeah. And teach us how to do that. But if you want to leave us your own review, uh, it doesn't have to be five stars. Uh, we will read it on the show. Right. But we do prefer five stars. Of five stars really make us happy. 
We have an announcement to make. Uh, September, our theme for the show is going to be Listener Request Month. Now, the reason that we're announcing this a little bit earlier than we usually would is because we need your help. You are our listeners, and we need your requests. So if you have a movie request that you would like us to tackle on the show, please go to vocaroo.com. That's V-O-C-A-R-O-O.com, and record a voicemail, quote-unquote voicemail. That's in air quotes, uh, for us. Now, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to play your voicemail on the air if we select your movie. And uh, there are a few rules. You can go to our forums and find the details of the rules. But uh, make sure to include your name, uh, your location, and the movie you want us to cover, of course. And uh, this is really important. A reason for your pick. That's most important for me. We want to know why you want you want us to do this movie. Uh it can be a personal anecdote. You can tell us what the movie means to you. It can be a mini review. Whatever you think will grab our attention, uh, that's what we want to hear. So please include that. Uh, now, when you finish recording in their in their in-browser interface, it will give you some sharing options. Go ahead and share your recording with us via email to our address, thepopcornpoops at gmail.com. Uh, you can also write in your request to our email inbox, but voicemails will get priority. The deadline for this deadline folks is 12 a.m midnight on thursday august 27th so don't forget that you've got less than two weeks at this point get uh, in there you have homework yes please please do this uh the, the the complete announcement like i said is on our forums and there's a few more details in there and guidelines uh but that's just the basic information that will get you through if you if you just want to go ahead and record that and send it our way uh we would really appreciate that well and the 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 reason we're doing this i mean i can't tell you how many uh requests for specific movies we've had since we started doing this podcast yeah it's, a lot. it's all the time people constantly have ideas for really great movies that we should do or really bad movies which is equally great in my opinion and this is your opportunity to get those movies done on popcorn poop so so please do that and we're trying to make it interesting with the voicemail aspect so we can play it on the show and yeah yeah it'll be fun uh so we're going to get to the movie now like i said this week is george miller's 1979 film mad max sinkers press play at the beat after the countdown ready three two one and we are rolling. Um, so this movie is not. We're, we're just going to go ahead and 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 put our thoughts about this movie out there. In the are open. we? I'm we just going to do it right now. I like this movie. I think this movie has problems. I think it kind of feels like a filmmaker's first film in a lot of not great ways. But mm-hmm. I think that overall. Um, it, it is a it is a good movie that's got a lot to offer and it's it is a a classic for a reason and I think that there's a lot of stuff that's pulled out of this movie that we see in in movies that have followed this it inspired a lot of things in in other movies uh, and I think it is it rightfully deserves to be called a classic now you might have a different opinion I mean I'm not going to argue with with it being a classic of course it's a classic and of course you know movies have pulled from this movie. Since this came out, but I, I just, especially after, I think I would have a less strong opinion of it if I hadn't had to sit through it so many times over the course of the past week. And I'm definitely at a point now where I can go without seeing this movie again, probably for the rest of my life and be okay with that. Uh, I understand. Um, and, uh, I, I just, 
It's hard for me. Oh, before we get away from it right here, if you've got the Blu-ray, this sign, you can see boobies all over it. I mean, you could see real boobies. There were real boobies in the first moments in the of, first the moments of the movie. <laughs> but there were squiggly, like, notebook doodle boobies on that sign that probably until the advent of Blu-ray, the viewers did not have the fortune to get to see. No, that's true. And uh, there, there, there are a lot. We like to pick out some of those little details on the show from time to time. Little tiny visual details that you wouldn't have been able to see before the age of HD, um, which I think is one of the reasons that, that HD is so amazing. Like the little tattoos on the on the biker's face mm-hmm. in this movie. Like all of the, all of Toe Cutter's biker gang have little tattoos on their face. And before... A Blu-ray, I don't know that you could have picked it out... It looks like something to it. It looks like, I don't know, like the Green Lantern symbol or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there's something to it. But I don't know that you could have made out exactly what it was before Blu-ray. And I think that's that's fascinating. I love I love high-def movies. Um, um, but anyways, though, yeah, I'm, I don't feel like something being a filmmaker's first movie is excuse for it not... Uh, it is is justification to allow apologies to be um, a deciding factor in my opinion of the movie. Okay. Saying saying that you know well they were only working on a budget of three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a tight budget, and yes, it's impressive to see what has been done in this movie based on that budget. I know that a lot of people love this movie because they're so amazed by the car stuff and the motorcycle stuff. The, I mean, the action sequences in this are. And I think the action action sequences are are done incredibly well, but I just don't care about the action sequences. So whether or not they're done well, it really, it's, I mean, specifically car action sequences, that's about like the bottom end of my care spectrum. So, um, so yeah, it's cool that they drove really fast in these cars and filmed it, um, but that's not particularly interesting to me. So again, that's more not a, in, a high point. You're more interested in things like character. Yes, right? I want I want the character. I want the plot. And you don't... I want the storytelling because this is supposed to be a story. That's what movies are. They're stories. And if it, giving excuses about budget and stuff like that for, for a movie not, to me... Um, meeting all the things that I want out of it. I, it can be an incredibly cheap low budget movie and still blow my mind just because the things that I wanted in it were done so spectacularly well and that this movie doesn't hit those points. What you're talking about is a matter of taste. Yes. It's a matter it it really is a matter of taste. I don't I don't know that you think that this movie does things it, I, I know that you have issues with some of the pacing later on, but yeah, I don't know that you I, do. I don't know that you think that the movie does character poorly? No, or I don't think like it does. That. I don't think it does any. And I'm not saying the storytelling is poor in this because I mean it's very, but it is very basic, right? Like it's very I mean, stripped. Like down. like your character changes in the title of the movie. Yeah, it's a it's a very simple story, and I think that you've got really only one truly dynamic character in right. in the movie. Which um, was an issue that I had originally I during the first time that we recorded this podcast. Um, <laughs> originally, I had suggested that uh, Mad Max actually was the only dynamic character in this movie. And I've gone back on that because as we were watching it and we were kind of fighting about it throughout the course of the movie, I have realized that some of the minor characters do have a shift. They do change in some noticeable way i their story is just so insignificant compared to max's though that it's it's not a huge shift um uh 
so so it's not that I don't believe that there are other dynamic characters in the movie. I think that it's just the most basic one is like the most basic kind of obvious huge change mm-hmm. and you know. This movie has me believing that that every place of business in Australia has a, a clever sign that's got some kind of quip on it. Like this restaurant has a sign up that says, if you can't smell it, we don't have it or something like that. And then later on in the movie, there's a mechanic shop that says, you bend them, we mend them, things like that. Mm. Um, well, don't like all roadside quirky little places have quippy signs and stuff? Isn't isn't yeah, it more maybe. less an Australia thing and more like a quirky roadside I guess stand so. thing? May, I guess so. This guy with a beard and the glasses right here. Uh, would you believe that he's a writer? Absolutely. Would you believe that he is the the that co- he might show up in one of my classes this week? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yes, I uh, would. It's, that's actually James McCausland. He is the co-writer of this film. Uh, there were a few things at the beginning that I wanted to touch on. Uh, early in the film, there's a there's a shot of a road sign that's got two rows at an intersection. One of the roads reads Anarchy Road, and the other road reads Bedlam. Uh, not only is that a real sign that actually exists in Australia, but uh, I feel like it kind of ties in nicely to the most recent installment of the Mad Max franchise, and the reason that this movie qualifies. That baby fall is adorable. Yes, um, it's it, it's also very real. It's a very real baby fall. Um, and also the the only reason that this movie qualifies for our our month of French franchise originals, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, um, which is the that, name of the road in that movie. That van right there. The reason that it looked so fantastic when it was spinning, spinning around, around wildly was because they took the engine out of it. Yes, and so I it weighed that. very little. Was able to just flip all over the place. Um, it doesn't really flip, but. And the, the, the police, so we're watching the police in this movie. Now, the police in this movie are driving around in these these cars that were actually, a lot of them were actual, like, decommissioned uh, police cars in Australia uh, that they... That's pretty cool that they let them Recycled for this movie, yeah, and got to, you know, tear the shit out of them. Um, but a lot of them are, what are they called, Ford Falcons? I think they're called Ford Falcons. Oh, do not look at me as though I'm... <laughs> Gonna know well, that one. Well, the the famous car, the, the 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 car that we come to know as Mad Max's car is the Ford Falcon XB GT, a nineteen seventy three model, I believe. Um, but yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of car wrecks and and lots of things that you wouldn't expect in this movie to be brought up, like bad parenting. There's lots of yeah. There is so much is, bad parenting I, in this. movie. I would say that there is as much bad parenting in this movie as there are vehicle accidents it's it's true probably really some be- kind of believe- correlation can be drawn between these two things i believe that like people we, being generally we're not irresponsible. even 10 minutes into this movie or about 10 minutes into this movie i think and uh, maybe 15 and uh we've already got a, a show of bad parenting um which is a running theme through the movie i believe so uh a, perhaps a motif a motif yeah, okay yeah, um I think here in the beginning, and this is one thing I'm going to come back to and complain about later in the movie, is that I think here in the beginning, the editing is fantastic um, in in regard to specifically the building of tension mm-hmm. and action sequences. There's a great sense of tension, a great sense of rising action. It just grips you in the beginning. And that's one of the things with this movie that I always, well, previously before having, again, watched it about a thousand times recently, um, 
I had only seen it like once or twice before at the most before we watched it for popcorn poops. And when whenever I would come back to it, I'd always be like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, this is kind of fun. I remember this movie. And I could never remember what happened in the second half. And that's because I always fall asleep um, or just generally stop paying attention because I think the second half of this movie, even though that's when he goes mad. Yes. Um, the way that they edit the action sequences and the way they they uh, drag out those scenes, just the length of the cuts, the length of the cuts in these early scenes are so short. Yep. And later in the movie, they're so long. Yeah, incredibly long. And I think that the the attempt was to use long cuts to build tension as opposed to short cuts to build tension because there are schools of thought in which you know both can work. Um, but what's really interesting and kind of strange to me is that this opening sequence here with the Knight Rider and, and Mad Max, eventually, I keep, I want to, I'm going to end up calling him Mad Max all the way through this. His name is just Max, Max Rokotansky. Uh, but with Max heading off the Knight Rider and uh, basically chasing him down until he meets uh, his, his untimely death. Um, I think that this has a really great sense of pacing, mm-hmm. a great sense yes. of building action, uh, rising action, if you will, and then a climax. Uh, and that's kind of a little bit unexpected or ironic, maybe, uh, considering that the whole movie has a very strange sense and maybe not very climactic sense of rising action and climax. Yes, the, I would agree The with end that. is so, it, it happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. The last sequence, I, I feel like this is... You're, it's one of those movies where you get to the end and you're like, oh... Oh, we're there? Well, I mean, oh, it's, okay. the whole last act of this movie is about as long as this sequence is, as long as this beginning sequence is. So it feels oh like... The, gosh, it feels so much longer. It feels so much longer than that because it is the whole ending of the movie. Like, this isn't the... This this whole sequence right here isn't just the first act of the movie. It's... Right. It is the first sequence. But right. the last scene, the last sequence, the, the chase down where, where Max has officially become mad and he's going on his vengeance quest to, to get rid of Toe Cutter's gang uh, is not only the last act of the movie, but it does also happen to well, be just the last sequence. I don't sequence. even think... Um, so it feel, I don't know. It feels like... It feels anticlimactic. It feels like it... It's... There, there's not enough to it. It feel It doesn't feel like it's... There's... Like it's long enough. Yes. No. I love. I, I love. This I, I agree right with here. what you're saying. Even though I've been complaining about how long the ending is. Yes. His Mad Max part, when he is Mad Max, is not long enough to. Oh, sexy sex. Th- this is this is a hilarious scene. And that it's is, unintentionally hilarious. It's set up like a gag, and it's so like it's such a perfect gag that it's hard for me to believe that it's not supposed to be funny. It's not supposed to be funny. It's hard for me to believe that because it's so perfect. This it feels like something out of a Leslie Nielsen. This is spoof. 1979. Like that's something that you. They were for real with the sexy saxophone. That's something that you would see in like a Naked Gun movie with Leslie Nielsen or something like that, where the guy is sitting there on like at his counter having a drink, and you've got saxophone in the score, and then you cut to his tiny mousy wife holding a giant tenor saxophone, and she's actually playing the saxophone you hear in the score. It's hilarious. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was intentionally funny. Talking about the editing, though, before we get too far away from it, one of the scenes that I thought was done the best in this movie was um, one that we just passed where it was the, the first baby scene. 
um, where the woman's pushing, we're driving like the, the car chase is getting toward population as they call it. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a woman pushing a baby stroller, and we cut. We see her being distracted by a man um, who's accusing her of being out with another man. And, of course, being a bad parent, her toddler runs out into the street, falls down, cut back to the car chase, back to crashes, sirens, people getting angrier, cut back to baby, cut back to car. And, like, it's so fast, and it's just done, it's done flawlessly, I think. And it builds that tension perfectly, and you're terrified for the baby, and you aren't even really sure whether or not the baby's hit for a minute, um, and and it's done really well. Whereas, I think even um, even the parallel scene at the end of the movie, I don't think it's as tense as that scene. Mm-hmm. Well, this movie does kind of operate in twos. Like it, it uses a lot of parallel imagery. It bookends the movie with two kind, very similar sequences. Um, oh, baby playing with gun. Yes, baby just playing with a a giant revolver. Another example of terrible parenting. <laughs> baby does not have gun in this shot, no, but uh, no, no, it doesn't. But in those close-ups, there's one close-up with baby well, with gun. Well, in a close-up like that, you can have someone much much closer, like nearby, out of frame. Of course, the gun's not loaded, so it doesn't Let's matter. Let's presume idea. that the baby was <laughs> never handed a loaded gun. So this hand gesture that she does that looks like she's just making it up as she goes that apparently means crazy about you, uh, I can't make heads or tails of it. No. I what's impressive about it is that he remembers how to do it. Yeah. And copies it at the end of the movie. That's impressive. Yeah, there's a there was some more stuff earlier in the movie that we that we uh that we missed. There's a lot of slang in this movie, a lot of Australian slang, some of which I can't really find online. Probably because some of it is not actually Australian slang but is instead, you know, made up. It, stuff for the movie. It seems to me that uh, there is a that that twisto bikey scoot jockey or a scoot jockey. I think they say scoot jockey a couple of times in this. It's got to be something for the movie. It. I think. Right. I think it's probably something. I mean, if for you're from movie. Australia and you lived in 1979 and know the slang from then. Then you are welcome to prove us wrong. I would appreciate it, actually. Twisto bikey scoot. Pretty jockey. sure that was just made up for this movie. Uh, yeah, I think it's supposed to mean someone who rides a motorcycle. Maybe twist twisto bikey. Maybe a crazy biker. I don't know. I'm not sure. Scoot jockey. Um, they refer to the the police officer that uh, that Knight Rider killed as a premie, which is apparently uh, an Australian slang version of preemie, which is like a premature baby. But in this context, it would mean like a rookie cop. A rookie cop. Um, this character that we're meeting here is one of my favorite ones in the, the mechanic. Movie. Yeah, yes. he doesn't get hardly enough screen time, but he's got like a great greaser haircut. Uh huh. And, and his his speech impediment and stuff. It's just he's such a great character. He's he, so interesting. He has a, a really amazing, memorable face and personality too. I just love he's he steals the scene in this in this scene. <laughs> yeah. His mannerisms are really yeah, so They're really great. So I wish we had more of him in this. It looks movie. like the Joker. Kind of does. It looks right? like he could play the Joker. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, we missed the giant boob pillows on the bed too. Oh, that's right. Behind, uh, behind Max and right his wife Jesse. Right after sexy Jessie, saxophone. Right after sexy saxophone, there are some giant 
giant tit pillows <laughs> on the They can't on their be bed. anything else besides boobs. Oh, they're definitely boobs, definitely. And my, my theory is that uh, in the post-apocalypse, all that remains to decorate your home with uh, are leftover novelty items. That, oh, from like Spencer's? Yeah, that no one would actually want to decorate right. their house with in the age of civilization. Right, they of might course. like buy it for someone as a gag or whatever, but they'd never actually use it in their home. This movie was apparently... According to uh, George Miller, this wasn't written to be a post-apocalyptic movie, but because they had to film like in on abandoned roads because of you know the speed at which they were going to film, and because they had to shoot at like derelict buildings because they didn't want people around, just because of what they had available to them and the nature of uh, you know the production, it kind of became the something of a blue like a visual blueprint for mm. all post-apocalyptic films to yeah. follow yeah absolutely even the color palette i think but what's strange to me is that one of the inspirations that that george miller has mentioned that, that he drew on for this was a movie called uh, a boy and his dog which is a post-apocalyptic movie that came before this this mm-hmm. was by by you know by no means the first post-apocalyptic movie you had you know omega man before this uh and of course a boy and his dog um I think even maybe The Quiet Earth was before this. I think it was. Uh, so yeah, movies like that, um, movies from like the late 60s and into the 70s, because this is 79. But this kind of defined what we think of as post-apocalypse, like kind of dry, mm-hmm. uh, almost like desert, like the, the, the look of like the outback. The Australian Outback is kind of what we think of. Set the scene for like every other YA novel out there that's come out in the past, <laughs> you know, five mm, years. Yes, yes. Awesome. Thank you. We appreciate that. I I want more of those, definitely. Um, uh, we just talked over, well, it was actually you who talked over the scene and not me, that, um, <laughs> that, okay. that I wanted to comment on because I think it's the most random scene in the movie and one that we could just cut out. I'm just going to make that suggestion. Okay. You know, George Miller, you don't have to listen to me when you do your director's hey. cut DVD, you know, Grandpa George is edition. But if you took my opinion... And you wanted to use it in your cuts, then the last, the previous scene at the car wreck, you can just, you can just chop it right out of there. Um, it doesn't really serve a purpose. Any purpose. There is no purpose, and it's also so disorienting because the scene where we have right before then is we see Max getting bribed basically by the higher ups in the police force. Mm-hmm. Um, they're giving him a V eight that they've put together from bits here and bits there, or whatever. A V eight pursuit special, right? Is what and they call, it, which will become will come to be known as the V eight interceptor in sequels. But in this movie, it is the pursuit special. And the reason why we're bribing him is because it's clear that he has tried before. He has at least mentioned, if not right out, tried to quit before, and they don't want him to because he's something of a hero. Um, well, that's Fifi's point of view. That's Fifi's, Fifi's point of view. Fifi's whole thing is, he, you know, he, he, he believes in heroes and he wants to bring the age of heroes He's back. something of a star, then, is a better way to put yeah, it. Yeah, sure. He's famous among the MFB. That's what we're led to believe, but... But it is, re- it is hard to see it, actually, don't really in the movies. We don't really see it. Ha- like, we, we, I guess we kind of see it. Movie. Like, there's, there's somewhat, something of a build-up to him actually starting to pursue Knight Rider in that opening sequence, and we see all the other cops kind of fail at it, and then when he finally goes 
goes and does it. He, Knight Rider freaks out just upon seeing him. Right. And he kind of loses his nerve because he, you know, he... We assume it's because he knows that it's Mel Gibson's character. Yeah, he, he yields to the game of chicken and then he gets chased and yeah, it's... But anyways, though, point is they're trying to bribe him. And we have this scene where we see the car and he's about to go test drive it. And then hard cut to a scene that is the end of something that we never saw actually happen, which is um, Max taking down two crazies is what they say. And uh, Fifi is all like, another one for the books, Max. And so Max has just gone and taken down a couple of, of crazies. And we don't see that scene. We just see the aftermath of it. We see the end of a scene, <laughs> not the actual scene. I think you're laughing at the face I'm thing. sorry. This, this, this fucks me up every time. So we've got Toe Cutter here, who's played kind of amazingly by Hugh Keysburn. Uh, who's doing some kind of advanced face-grabbing technique on the station master. <laughs> advanced face-grabbing. I don't know what it is that he's doing, but he's got like his thumbs positioned he's, well, on his chin. He's barely touching him. Like he's it, barely it's touching him. It's delicate. Like, like it, it looks like aggressive. it's... aggressive. Yeah, it's, that's a great way to put it. It's delicate but aggressive. <laughs> it is definitely that. Um, interesting thing, though, about Hugh Keysburn is he he's not really famous outside of Australia. He's done a lot of stuff in Australia, but... Uh, of course, he plays the main antagonist in this film, uh, Toe Cutter, and he is the leader of the gang. And he plays the main antagonist in Mad Max Fury Road. That is interesting. The most, uh, the most recent uh, installment in this franchise. and It's a long time between. I have to say, I prefer Immortan Joe, the character he plays in Fury Road. In fact, I prefer just about everything in Fury Road to... Basically everything in any other Mad Max movie. Okay. Because Fury Road is is the fucking bomb. It's. You better keep hyping it up. It's my favorite movie of the year so far. And we're over halfway through the year. And it was like one of the earliest movies. to. It was a, it was a really early movie to come out. Well, I guess it wasn't that early. It was early summer. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't really fair to the rest of the movies coming out this year because it's so good. Okay, anyways, I was trying to talk about my cut for oh, Mr. Go Miller. Ahead, go ahead. I mean, he really wants this information. I'm, I'm sure he needs you as an editor. I think he does um, because, and here's why he really needs me, not only is it a really random hard cut to this crash where, again, Let's reiterate the point that we come in at the end of a scene and we don't see the interesting thing that happened, which was the chase. Isn't that why you all are watching this movie is to see the cars blow up? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, they, and they do. Oh, so They do, but that was another opportunity. And instead, we just see the aftermath of it. Fine, whatever, that's fine. But the purpose of the scene, it's very short. The purpose is so that Fifi can say some words to Max. And those words are basically... Uh, you killed Knight Rider, Knight Rider's gang is coming after you. It's entirely unimportant because Knight Rider's game never comes after they Max. They never do. For that reason. No, not definitely not they for come, that reason. They come after Max, but actually they're coming after Max's wife because of the whole thing with the ice cream and the kicking and the balls. Right, the like the they, don't, they don't even, I'm, none of the gang members ever actually mention Max at all. It doesn't even seem like they know him. It's like I know they don't he's know supposed who he to be famous, but it doesn't even seem like they do. They go after and there, Goose. There are opportunities for them to 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 show that they recognize him, that he is some kind of legend among the you know among the MFP and the and the gangs around here. But they don't like even when they pick up Johnny the boy. Johnny, there's a sequence coming up here uh, after they do terrible things to this young couple that they're chasing. 
Johnny the boy is too high to leave the scene, and Goose and Max pick him up, and and Johnny the boy doesn't recognize Max at I all. Know. Well, and again, we could chalk that up to being Johnny the boy, but in the whole thing where Toe Cutter's talking about Knight Rider and is so upset about Knight Rider being dead, wouldn't he say something at some point specifically about the guy who got Knight Rider killed if Knight Rider's killer was a famous yeah, guy? Yeah, you'd think so. Especially, wouldn't, wouldn't there be some vendetta against Max? Well, again, since Fifi said that they were coming after him, you would think but that they there would don't. be something. No, they don't. They never. They don't actually come after Max for that reason. They come after him for an, an entirely unrelated reason. And granted, the reason it, it makes sense for, you know, his character in a way this, because... This sequence here, when they're wrecking the car, is really harrowing. It is, I think in part because she's screaming while they're tearing up this car and it feels like the car is in pain or and like they're in yeah. pain, in physical pain because of the car being hurt. And there's no music. Of course, the, the lack of music here... You know, and these really, really quick cuts. It's really hard and fast, and it builds the tension and stuff really well, I think, because of this. I think that in this movie specifically, he does a great job of building tension with his shortcuts, with his like short, short scenes, yeah, make short a note action. Of, make a note of this cut of a, of a bird. Flapping its wings, yeah, in, in the camera. Because we're that's another like little visual cues like that. We're gonna get a callback to that later in the movie. Because like there I are said, a this couple movie, times though that it happens. There's th- another one when she's in the woods and she's running. Oh, and there's a bird? Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. it gets in her face. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um I know the one you're talking about at the very end of the movie with Max. Yes. Yeah. But there's when, another yeah. one with his wife, too. But but yeah, I think he does really well with those hard, fast cuts. I think the long ones for me don't work. I don't I don't feel the tension. It just puts me to sleep in this movie. I don't disagree with you. Like that's that's one thing that I I may have said at the beginning is that I like this movie and I respect this movie and I think that I think it this is a a, a good movie, but I don't love this movie. I'm not in love with this movie. I love The Road Warrior. I love Mad Max 2. I think the sequel to this is great. I think Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is not a good movie. Uh, and like I said, Fury Road is is the bomb.com. And the bomb.com. The bomb.com. This is this is a really brutal moment where it you is. see this young man running away from having just been assaulted in his car and he's got blood all over his ass. Yes, all over his ass cheeks where he's clearly been raped. Yeah. Clearly. And it's one of many examples in this movie where um we don't see the thing that happened. We see just a hint of the thing that happened. Uh or the thing that is there there are a few other moments specifically in this movie that that the same situation comes up where we don't see them getting raped, but we do are we are told definitely they were raped, um, both of them, and and so uh, I think at some points in this movie it works. At other points, I feel like the only reason that they don't show things is because specifically they were under um, uh, limitations because of censorship or whatever that would not allow them to show things. I'm not saying that we needed to see the rape in this movie. I'm, no, I'm no. just saying there there are some other scenes that it's more obvious to me personally this, that I This car is fucked. This car is up. fucked up. And this moment right here is the thing that makes 
Goose to me, not a likable character. Not that he's he's a fine it's character. It's not that he's doing paper, anything wrong in particular, but this imagery, this imagery, yeah. always has put a bad taste in my mouth about Goose, where he is continuing to hold the chain of this girl who has been raped and chained up. Yeah, and as he walks toward her, he keeps holding the chain so that she won't run away, um, which gives this imagery of him being no better than than the people who raped her. But again, it's thematically consistent because with, he's the good guy. Because he's the good guy. And that's if there's anything that this movie is trying to say, uh it, it is what Max is primarily his main um I guess uh in internal quarrel is is uh that he eventually spells out to Fifi the reason that he wants to quit is because he feels like eventually he's going to become no better than one of these guys that he he puts away all the time. If, you know, you deal with violent criminals long long enough and you work on their level and you put yourself in a position where you have to think like them and act like them in order to deal with them at their level that Eventually, you become no better than them, and the only difference, as he says in the movie, is that the only difference is he has a badge that says it's okay. Right. And I think this is a very hot topic right now. It is. I mean, I think it's very it's pertinent, uh, very topical, and I think it's something that, that uh, we're dealing with in the United States right now, um, That and, you know, I think that you can take the interesting things that this movie is saying on that level. Not that it's, it doesn't go very deep into that. It's very surface level. It just, it it mentions it as kind of his, uh, his one character trait, the one thing that sets off his character arc and will be the impetus for his eventual change and making him a dynamic character. Um, so that we get, can get that final sequence where Max becomes mad. Um, but I, I do think that it has, uh, it's grounded in a reality that we're still still dealing with, and it's still, um, uh, you know. It's interesting. Topical. I think recently there have been a, a number of people um, in media who have pointed out that some of the movies from the '70s and the '80s that were so pertinent then to so topical then to the social issues and stuff that were going on have again come around as being particularly topical Mm -hmm. concerning the social issues that are happening in America right now. It's interesting when that happens, when we think that we've addressed something and then, and are done with it and then apparently find out that maybe those are issues that always come back again and again and again, because that's part of the human condition. So, Right now in the movie, what's going on is that that Johnny the boy, like we said, he was too high to leave the scene of the crime, the scene of of, of the the rape. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would even say like not only human rape but vehicular rape. I yeah, mean, we can see the car right here in this shot. There, there is definitely a lot of uh, mixing that in this movie, mixing uh, and uh, metaphors and stuff with humans and yeah, cars. Vi- yeah, visual metaphors between machine or machine and man. Yes, you know, that's that kind of thing. A much nicer way of what I'm trying to. Um, but Tim Burns, who plays Johnny the Boy, who's locked up in, you know, who's being detained right now in the halls of justice, um, he was so in character, apparently, that he uh, annoyed everyone on set. He was just super fucking annoying. And uh, apparently he was abandoned one day during lunch while handcuffed to the wreckage, like at the scene <laughs> where Max and Goose pick him up because they were just like, fuck him. He's being a dick. Wow. 
okay actors there you go i bet you wouldn't do that to daniel day lewis I don't yeah, know. Probably might, not. I'm, there might be stories out there. I don't know. Maybe before he was an Oscar winner. Can we talk about the getting high thing? Since you've gone ahead, sure. you mentioned it. Yeah, go for it. Um, that's another one of my issues with this movie is uh, we repeatedly drugs are used as a major motivator in this film. Um, repeatedly, again and again and again, we see people doing things because they're clearly high. Um, you, you can. You can suggest that some of the people some of the bikers in this movie aren't high but Knight Rider come on like he has to be high yes he definitely has to be high and that's screaming sub- ACDC lyrics yes that's, who would do that who wasn't on some substance right and <laughs> and that's supported by the fact that later we are told that in so many words that um Johnny the boy was high and he was too high to even leave the scene of the crime. That's mm-hmm. how high he was. So so uh, drugs are definitely a major motivator for the characters in this film, not only to make choices, but to die a lot of times. Being high kills them in many circumstances. And we don't talk about it at all in this movie. They don't address it at all. We don't even see what kind of drugs they're doing. We don't even see how... I mean, it's a post-apocalyptic world or not, whatever, George Miller. It's not now. So the drugs they're doing must be different. They must look unique. It must be something. Um, I mean, and- that's that's something that really gets expounded upon in Fury Road. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like Fury Road is a much better sequel to this movie than any of the other sequels. And it's not that The Road Warrior is not a great movie, because it is. It's a, I mean, it's the second best in the franchise at this point. But I feel like there's so many ideas and there's so many, uh, not, not just visual ideas, but thematic ideas, but both thematic and visual ideas that kind of have their seeds that have been planted in this movie and have really grown into something uh interesting and spectacular in in a in fury road and drug use apparently i have not seen uh yeah that being one of them them. last time we talked about this you suggested that miller's portrayal of explicit drugs use was maybe limited due to censorship or something yeah maybe yeah something like Um, that i mean that, that there might have been something like that but again as i said before I judge movies as is, not if if you felt like you weren't going to be able to show the shots you wanted to show because of censorship, then it didn't need to be a major theme in your movie. Um, um, I mean, being, I mean, I, 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 I agree with that. But, you know, this being a movie that's kind of about cars and about people in a wasteland and being the violent movie that, that it is. Uh, I think that this is only to moviegoers at the time and especially to like censorship boards and things like that. I think that this probably felt like not that different from an exploitation film. Yeah. Coming out of the era of exploitation films and, and feeling in some ways I love like there's a list of port rules right there and they're breaking half of them right now. <laughs> I've never noticed that. Um, but yeah, in a lot of ways, this feels like and it definitely did was it definitely was born out of. Uh, of car exploitation films and exploitation films of the era, um, and those films were not highly regarded, and they they were the kind of movies that played in the same theaters with you know with adult films with 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 pornography. Um, so I I get what you're saying. I get this was racier then than it is now. I get that. Um, this is very tame by yeah <laughs> tame these for days. today. I guess what what I'm saying, what I'm really trying to say is that 
the main motivation for many characters in this movie doesn't get explained and that drug use is not inherent in all gangster cultures. When it is used, it's not often even used for the same reasons. I mean, drug use can in has a particular place in gangster creed and social caste systems. For instance, like the Yakuza don't even use drugs. That's specifically part of how they function is that drug use is prohibited. Right. So, so it's different for different types of gangs and it, it expounds on their culture and the way the way they function to to learn about the drug use and the drug use is so important to these gangs that I need to know more about it and um, I don't get anything. My my theory. Do you want to hear my theory? Sure. My theory is that Toe Cutter is supplying drugs to the gang members to I would keep agree them under that. his control because he seems psychotic but sober. Yes, he's he's definitely crazy, but I think that he there's. Uh, there's a control to him Mm -hmm. and there's a, there's a way that he maintains control within himself so that he can control the people around him. And I mean, this is a great scene to be talking uh, about this, um, over this scene where he's, uh, uh, dealing with Johnny the boy because he does kind of speak cryptically and somewhat poetically most of the time and that's kind of how he gets his ideas across to the people in his in his gang and they're all kind of on the same level with him but Johnny the boy doesn't get it Johnny the boy is kind of dense and too wild and too stupid to understand what is being told to him at any given time so when he gets in trouble and they take him out to this beach and they kind of make a display of taking this mannequin and they're going to shoot the mannequin and talk about like treason and talk about loyalty and these kind of things they're trying to show Johnny that they're not going to fuck around if he fucks up again if he messes up again they're going to kill him and then he, you know, he just walks up because he's being crazy and he shoots the mannequin himself. And they're just like, man, you don't get it. Well, to be fair to Johnny the boy, though, it did take me a couple watchings of this movie before I really felt like I even understood that scene. Yeah. Um, there, The first couple times I watched it, I was like, what the hell is all the mannequin stuff? What what are they doing? Why does he get angry so fast? Because they have this weird conversation about the mannequin that Johnny the boy brings back with him. He is the one who brings it back, right? What, Johnny the boy? Yeah, he brings the mannequin back, right? Uh, I don't think so. Someone had someone it on the back of their bike. Yeah. Well, someone brings the mannequin in, and but it's after Johnny's hearing. And Toe Cutter's saying uh, that the mannequin isn't what she seems and that she's been sent from the bronze. And that's when they shoot her in the head. And that's when Johnny jumps up and he's like, if you're going to... If you're going to deal with the MFP, go bigger or don't go at all or whatever. And he blows it up with a shotgun. And I guess what what symbolism you're supposed to take from it is that that's what they're going to do to Johnny on like the most base level is that's what they're going to do to Johnny if he isn't what he seems, if he if he can't get his shit together or if he is what he seems maybe mm-hmm. is a better it's a better way to put it. that It's a threat to Johnny. Um, and Johnny doesn't get it because he's still acting silly. And there is a cupie baby on this door. It is a cupie baby, which I only know from the Japanese mayonnaise. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a thing that has existed long before that. But, but I only know it from. I don't like the cupie baby. It's very well. It's very uncomfortable to go to like get your mayonnaise squirt bottle out of the fridge and see a naked baby on it. Yeah, you know, it's like, what is this mayonnaise made of? <laughs> hmm. Um, (laughs) so many many questions, mostly MSG actually to answer your question. uh, Yes. The actual answer to that question is (laughs) is mostly, mostly MSG. Yeah. Just MSG. 
Uh, we're going to have another setup for a callback right here in this scene where uh, Johnny the boy watches Goose drive away. Man, so many cuts in this movie aren't actually cuts, but they're dissolves. George Miller loves his fucking dissolves. Does he Does he continue to love them after this movie? Is that a thing in his other movies that you know no, of? No, not that I've noticed. Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think that's just kind of a nascent filmmaker trying to figure out how to make his movie feel like it's more smooth or something. Mm-hmm. And he's, I don't know, but it's it's very strange like watching it. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a common practice. It's not, you know, uh, conventional, I would say. Um, but yeah, the, the callback that we're going to get later is, is Johnny the boy uses that lighter to kind of burn his arm because mm-hmm. he's trying to wake up or he's crazy or probably just because he's crazy. He, he is pretty crazy. And that lighter will end up coming back, be, come back at the end of the movie when Mad Max sets up the little, you know, time bomb of sorts that will end up killing Johnny the boy. This is another one of the very long drawn out scenes that. Um, a very fast driving. A very fast driving where... I like it. And there's, there's an a, airplane in that there's scene. There's an airplane in this shot. Yeah, or there was. Don't think that's intentional. Um, uh, yeah, it's just fast driving. And again, if you're into bikes and you're into cars and you want to see them go really fast, um, if I ever had a desire to do that, I would just go on YouTube and I just mean, click in that, fast I mean, car driving. But is, back in the 79, you couldn't do that. That is so. one of the elements of car exploitation that kind of makes it into this movie is, you know, fast cars going fast and just letting you kind of drink that in a little bit. You know, it, it kind of it's a that's, you know, the nature of exploitation is it lets you drink in it. Let, it lets you kind of. Uh, dwell in and uh, and and revel in those moments more than you would in a movie that wants to move things along and doesn't want to draw attention to certain things and kind of become uh, I don't know doesn't want to draw attention to itself in an, in a in a in a in a way that is not becoming to a narrative that's trying to move things along right seemed to take a very long time for his sabotaged bike to. Um be sabotaged yeah the one thing that i really don't understand about this is that johnny the boy sabotages goose's bike so that he can wreck and i guess die but then he doesn't die so he gets a truck from this other guy to carry his bike back to somewhere where he can get it fixed and then this the ambush that they are that you know that they're ready for that johnny the boy and toe cutter are ready for is an ambush that actually takes out the truck. Like they're ready for him to be in the truck. Right. So they ambushed the bike so that he could wreck the bike and then get a truck. And then they were ready for the truck. Like they planned on him having the truck. And they're so far ahead of him down this road. Like yeah, it, I don't... it's the logistics of how they go about dealing with goose in these scenes. It's very, confusing I don't really understand. Yeah. I don't really understand like the, Plan. And, and without like <laughs> GPS tracking and stuff, I don't understand how how they were able to know, you know, how long it would take him to get that truck called out there and then how far ahead they'd have to be to go sit and wait for him. I, yeah, it's just it doesn't make much sense to me. Here we see them throwing something into the windshield. I think it's a brake. I think he throws a brake into the windshield. A brake? Like a car brake? Like a car's brake system, yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, and it goes through the windshield, and that causes him to wreck. What, what if it didn't cause him to wreck? 
What if he lost control but stayed on the road? Like throwing something into the windshield, it would be very scary when that happened. But yeah. it doesn't definitely exactly. mean you're going like to wreck. You're counting on Johnny the boy, and that means that they're counting on Johnny the boy to aim well enough to put that through the windshield, and then count on that to make goose wreck. Right. I don't know. It definitely means that the person inside the car is going to maybe poop their pants. But you but... know, <laughs> but you know, I, the, to be fair, these guys don't really seem like guys with a plan. I think they're just playing it by ear yes, the whole time. Yes, that is true. They don't really seem like guys with a plan. Which, let's go back to don't really seem like guys with a plan. The whole lawyer stuff. Let's Oh yeah, we let's didn't really get to about talk that. about that. So Johnny the boy was going to go on trial or he did go on trial but no one showed up the townspeople didn't show up the couple that got raped didn't show up nobody showed up so the justice system uh, or the the judges determined that there you know because of a, i guess a clause or something of no contest that he would be let go right so he was released and when goose finds out about this this is kind of goose's biggest change in the movie uh, and it's the scene that makes me really like Goose as a character is that he loses it. Like he loses his mind and starts trying to beat up Johnny and, you know, all the rest of the police are, are having to uh, hold him back from it. And and this is the scene that makes Johnny the boy interesting because he doesn't want to kill. Right. Goose, he doesn't want to kill Goose, especially in this terrible way. And you've got, you know, uh, you've got Steve Bisley, who's in the car, the guy who plays Goose. His eyes are red and puffy because he like the actor actually had to be in that car upside down for a really long period oh, of time. Um, and this that scene right there, just the and it's not that you even really see anything, but it was that scene right there, the idea of Goose burning alive in that car that caused this movie to be banned in New Zealand for like three years after its release, four years. I don't think it was released until like 1983 Man. when uh, when The Road Warrior came out. And because of the success of The Road Warrior, it's like, well, you got to bring Mad Max out here now. Different world. Movie got banned because it Very didn't world. show a scene of someone getting burned alive but yeah that scene before when goose goes crazy that's what there's also a, a change in fifi too we've got fifi played roger ward who i think is probably my favorite character in the movie dude is just larger than life looks like a fucking cartoon character yeah right? i love fifi huge dude bald head giant mustache uh and and he's just he, he's just great in this and at the end of the scene where they take johnny the boy away and justice has not been served he says Basically, do whatever you want. Make sure the paper's clean. And that's him deciding that the justice system is broken. And that's that you you pointing that out to me is the moment where I realized that, oh, yes. okay, so Fifi does have a change. We however small that is, however little that is in terms of, you know, how much I mean, but how much do we get to hear him talk or see him on screen? Um, So it it actually is impressive that he gets any change at all. Right. Um, But. But yeah, the thing I wanted to talk about with the lawyers is, uh, for one thing, it's amazing to me that there is a court system at all that still functions in a world like this. Um, I guess if they have some sort of a police force, then then that does make sense that they have well, a court if, system. I mean, if, if their police headquarters looks like the halls of justice in this movie, can you imagine what their courts look like? Right. Like um, I don't think it speaks well to the state of the justice system. And the the one question I said... I had is why do the lawyers support this system? Because the lawyers in the movie, uh, why are they supporting, why are they allowing criminals to go free is what I mean. Because they're portrayed as wimpy people and wimpy people are the kind of people that you assume will do anything to get protection. Um, And 
I would picture them to want the rapists and killers to be dealt with and locked away or killed or whatever immediately you because they're wimpy people. Right, you would think. Um, and not that non-wimpy people don't want rapists and killers to be dealt with because they also do. Right. But, <laughs> but like those guys, I would feel like they'd be the ones who'd be really, really scared of it. Um, and the only assumption then that can be made is that the reason they're not putting these bikers behind bars is because they work for the bikers, Right. But then that assumes that a group of people, these bikers who are eternally high and portrayed as completely erratic, are actually organized enough to bribe lawyers. Yeah. Maybe Toe Cutter is. Maybe Toe Cutter. You, you, it, ha- it would have or to be... Or his second. It would have to... Yeah, Bubba. Bubba Zanmedi or whatever his name is. But anybody else? That's I don't know. impressive. I think, I think Toe Cutter is the only one. Toe Cutter or Bubba are the only ones that are lucid enough to, to pull something like that. And I don't know that it, it really implies that in the movie. But what? It's it implies that they're paying off the lawyers. I just don't understand why sane lawyers in this situation wouldn't would let those criminals go go for any reason besides being paid off by the bikers, though. This is uh, maybe Fifi's best scene it where is. he's watering his plants, chomping on a cigar, shirtless in tight leather pants. I mean, this movie is more than a little gay, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, I mean, besides the obvious moments of like gay rape and stuff in this movie. There's, there's also kind of a pervasive sense of sexual fluidity to this. Mm-hmm. Um like especially in Toe Cutter's Gang, I think that Toe Cutter's Gang uh, is extraordinarily um, feminine in ways, uh, like how they kind of, you know, Toe Cutter himself, he wears makeup over one of his eyes. He's got kind of frosted hair. Uh, they clearly care on some level about their appearance. Uh, you know, they they do things like dance with each other in the streets. They make a big kind of uh, a flamboyant show of themselves wherever they go. Uh, and then down to things that they say, like they say things in, in this movie that are interesting and I'll bring them up later. But this, this scene right here is the one that I want to focus on right now. This is where Max basically spells out why he wants to quit. He's afraid of becoming a bad guy. And this is also where Fifi, uh, explains his entire motivation for what he does. And that's that he believes in heroes. He believes in this idea of heroes and he thinks that people don't believe in heroes anymore and that. You know, the police force, the MFP, the what, what do they call it? M- MFP, what does that stand for in this? Um, it's the Met, is force it? Patrol, something. Major Force Major? Patrol? Major? Metro? Yeah. Major? Main Force main, Patrol? Main, main, it's main. It's the main, main force, force Patrol. Main Force Patrol. He thinks that the MFP can be modern day heroes, contemporary heroes. And that's what kind of keeps him going. Can we talk about the image of Fifi? Like, what is this guy? This is this is a character in anime. The, yeah, man. Like he like it's an the, archetype. It like, is visually, it's an archetype. It's, an archetype. it's a visual archetype. Because if you remember in like uh, Genshi Ken and stuff, there was even that one girl who was obsessed specifically with oh, yeah. this kind of guy. And in Full Metal Alchemist, you've got what's his name? I think it's Armstrong. Is that his name? Maybe and, I've I, I'm never not sure. watched much of that show. But this is definitely an archetype, and you know what it comes from? It comes from the old, uh, the old idea of like the antiquated idea of what a bodybuilder looks like. Yes, that like in shape, out of shape guy. <laughs> yes, yes. Fat, not fat. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, look at him. Is he fat? Is he not fat? I no. Yes. Yes. And no. no? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, no, d- but he is awesome. Definitely. Like besides, like a like a giant muscular other. bald dude with a huge mustache. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a that's a and, thing. And like really tight pants and stuff. And really tight leather pants. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but anyways, though, actually, when you were talking about the bikers being so effeminate and stuff, and the the um, the gay themes in this movie, it kind of brought up this other point that in my head just connected to this other thing that I had been thinking before. Can we get a, this mural? They have a fantastic sci-fi mural on the side of their Do you station think wagon. It would be okay if, like, we they're okay. By got the way, one of those on our car. Please, please note, they are chasing each other through the the um, the field there to go swim in this mm-hmm. river. There is no baby. No present. baby. There's baby toys. Yeah, there are toys. There's stuffed animals. But and there's things. no baby. I but mean, look, no they're baby. just napping quietly together. This is not. This is not reality. This isn't reality with a toddler. If there's a toddler there, they should be screaming at each other. <laughs> Someone would be screaming. Someone right would now. be screaming. <laughs> if there is a toddler there. If they weren't screaming, the child would definitely be screaming. Yeah. And right now, no, it's just like no toddler. This is parenthood. Look <laughs> at this. This is beautiful. When you're a parent, you just let the baby just be wherever parent, and you just do what you want. Parenthood is, is as idyllic and perfect as Mel Gibson's nipple. <laughs> Look at that nipple. It is it's, a, a, it's kind of a perfect nipple. The it looks the, like it looks like the, you could just pluck the nipple right the off. The subtitles of the that just popped up were really shiny, and <laughs> as you were talking about his nipple. Um. Anyways, so so yeah, this is parenthood. I guess. What do you um, think? Okay, we, we we haven't talked about Mel Gibson. What do you oh, think about? Oh no, him? we were trying. I was All trying right, to ahead. talk about the gay stuff. Okay, the, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, keep going. before before that, um, the the thing I had thought about earlier when I watched this movie was from the very first scene, we see two people having sex and we're watching it through the sight on a gun, which certainly has some, some kind, kind of, of symbolic, symbolic yeah. meaning that I don't really it's feel a, like thinking a, about right it's a, now. It's a um, penetrative, you know, invasive act. Right. Know, and also like, like the merging of, you know, violence and sex, which is kind of the point of what I'm trying to get to here. And that point is why in apocalyptic movies, and maybe this movie set the bar for it, and that's the answer to my question, why in post-apocalyptic worlds is sex such a rampaging problem, like public sex? Public sex is an an indicator of a world gone mad. Yeah, this is a a clue that your world is going bad is when people start to have sex outside. When people start having public sex, that means society has collapsed. And I will say that was something I had thought of before, but now that you were talking about it, don't you think maybe that ties in also in... A kind of a very negative way to the the homosexual themes that can be seen with the bikers. Um, the bikers being portrayed as kind of like uh, bisexual, we could say, and and them being the bad guys and them as an indicator of a bad society as people who are sexually promiscuous. Maybe, but I feel like this movie's more... Pro- I feel like George Miller as a filmmaker is more progressive than that to, than to squarely place that on on the clear antagonist, clear, the clear bad guys, so to speak. Of well, the and the, for one thing, I couldn't name any other George Miller films that I've seen. You could maybe name them for me. Um, well, the other Mad Max movies, of course, Happy Feet, the Happy Feet movies. The Happy, the happy Feet movies? No shit. 
like the penguin happy feet? Yes. Okay. Well, I've seen that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm, pro- I'm probably I'm probably gonna fuck this up. I think he also did. Did he do Death Becomes Her? I don't know. Or The Witches? Or The Witches of Eastwick? He did one of those movies. Those three movies to me are like, I don't know why they're all linked in my head somehow, but The Witches of Eastwick, The Witches, and Death Becomes Her. He did one of those for sure. Okay, that doesn't help me at all. Thanks. Um, He also did the... Uh, the final segment in the Twilight Zone, the movie with the airplane and the gremlin. Yes, he also directed that. The probably most famous Twilight Zone segment of all time. Yes, but the from the movie, the one from the movie. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I I mean I've seen some of those movies, um, but uh, but it doesn't really help answer my question, which. Well, you were suggesting that as a filmmaker, he's more progressive than that. And I was going to say, well, I'm not basing this off of any other film that he's made. I'm basing it off of only this film. But the saving grace, I think, is Fifi. Because Fifi is um, his sexuality, the way that he portrays himself is, you know, you aren't sure where he's leaning. Yeah, I think he he might be gay. Right. And, And so because of that, because we have a character which is such a a positive character in the film, uh, probably not probably definitely even the most idealistic character in the film, the one who, who wants the world to be a better place, mm-hmm. the hardest. Um, he and him being a character who is possibly gay kind of negates my point. Right. Um, but still let's deal with the fact that in post-apocalyptic I mean, Fifi, world, Fifi sexuality defi- Fifi is Fifi definitely has like a leather daddy thing going on. Yes, he does. Yeah. Um, This, but this whole movie kind of has a leather daddy thing going on. Even though apparently there's not much leather in the movie. That that is true. I think I've heard conflicting reports that the that the police officers' leather suits, all leather suits, uh, of all of them, either Mel Gibson's or uh, the guy who plays Goose, either Max's or Goose's, was the only real leather one, and the rest of them were pleather. And you can tell the pleather ones because they were they had weak knees, like a knee, the knees were the weak spot. So if you see like any people running around with like their knees split, then or the their pants split at the knees, then that was one of the pleather ones. Pleather, I don't know if it's pleather or like fake leather. If there's a difference, vinyl, know, vinyl, yeah, maybe I think it was vinyl. Um, but there are lots of lingering shots of like tight leather clad asses in this movie. Yes, there are. Yes, there are a lot of those. Uh, we have come to the part of the movie. We've actually been there for a while now. It's pretty much when they go on vacation um, where I just stop paying attention, basically. The movie just loses me. The movie kind of slows down here, it, and it becomes kind of a, a case of like, here's a here's a, a moment of where the movie picks up. The movie picks up. For a couple of seconds, and then it slows down for like double that time. Yeah. And then it picks up for a couple of seconds, and then it slows down for double that time. And it's just, it's kind of a, I don't know, a series of diminishing returns as far as like intensity and pace and speed and like forward momentum. It absolutely is. That's, I mean, that's my problem with it is because we, 
we do do this whole thing where it's like she she goes and she's awesome by the way um his wife Jessie. is fantastic I, I love how she I love like how she looks I love that she doesn't wear makeup and her hair is kind of frizzy and a mess and she is really dressed down and she's not like a bombshell you know superhero wife yeah kind of looks like she's not even wearing a bra in this scene she's just kind of whatever but not in like a not sexual in like you're a supposed sexy, to notice whatever, way because way. she's wearing yeah. fucking overalls but like in the opposite way which is like I just want to be comfortable today in these overalls and I'm not making a big deal for my husband the so. music in this scene right here where you know they've discovered the hand on one of one of Toe Cutter's gang members was pulled off and chained to the back of their car and they give it to local law enforcement here uh, wherever they've driven out to and the music in this scene is very intense but the things that he's telling them are like oh it's no it's no problem no, no big uh, deal. if he's not worried i'm not worried oh i don't care if ziggy says so believe me it's okay that's you know that's you know i guess his name is ziggy <laughs> but this is this is all a part of of that tension and editing that i have issue with here at the end where um, we do have the nice moment where she's in charge, where I, I love the little smile that she gives Toe Cutter before she stuffs her ice cream cone in his face and then knees him in the balls. Yeah. Um, she's spunky. She is. She's spunky. The, and I, I kinda, so is Aunt May or whatever her I wanna, name is I want to go too. back on that. I don't, I don't want to say spunky. I don't like the word spunky. It, it seems like, I don't know, patronizing or something to me. Oh, she's I not, think she's so. not I like spunky. spunky. She's, I don't know. She's strong. I think she's strong. She can. She has agency. Yes. That's the there preferable that's, way to say that's, it. That's the correct Tumblr word. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and I do love their relationship. This scene is a really good example of their of their relationship where they, you know, get to goof around. And I don't know, there's, there's little moments in this movie where George Miller shows you without telling you, which is, you know, it's, again, storytelling 101. Um, but... I don't know, like there's a there's a moment early in the movie when he's about to go to work and he says he has to go in early because he's going to meet Goose. And Jesse's clearly kind of upset by it because she doesn't want him to go early. She wants to spend mm-hmm. more time with her husband. That's fine. And he puts on this like ogre mask, right? And he puts on the ogre mask and that's all he really does. And he sits there with the ogre mask on at, or some kind of monster mask. And all she says is, I'm not grumpy. And what you get from that is that they have a history with the mask. The mask means something something to them. When one of them is in a bad mood, the other one puts on the ogre mask or the monster mask because it's their grumpy mask. It's the, right. it's the, hey, if you're going to be grumpy, I'm going to put on the grumpy mask and mock you for being grumpy. Right. But we don't get a big show of that. It's just he puts on the mask. She says, I'm not grumpy. And we get it. Yeah. And it's over. That's great filmmaking. Yes, I agree. Um these long shots that we're about to get her here of her walking to the beach are to me, not great filmmaking because, yeah, right. because this is where the movie just it's slows quite, to a drag. Yeah. Solipsistic where just drag on, we rush away from the bad guys and the bad guys follow and then we park somewhere safe and it seems okay. Oh my gosh, there's a hand chain to the car. Oh my gosh, run to the cops and keep up the intense music, but no, it's okay. Don't worry. No problem. I always and then go to the farmhouse where we just kind of chill. Speaking of the farmhouse and chilling, this I always when I when I revisit this movie after a long time, I always forget that this is part of the movie, like them breaking away and going to the farmhouse and just kind of hanging out to try to get away from their troubles. And it reminds me of another movie where something really similar to that happens that I again I always forget is in this other movie, and that's the 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 first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movie. Oh yeah. Um, where they go to April O'Neil's family farm 
and they just kind of chill yeah, and like the whole like the color palette changes which is very mm-hmm. similar like the color palette changes in this to something that is very brown and kind of colorless almost monochrome in a way mm-hmm. uh, dis- certainly desaturated to something that's much more green and lush yep. and we get greens and when she's at the ocean we get blues finally like that shot right mm-hmm. there which is also it's a good segue that was our hint for our for uh, this episode uh, for every episode we put up uh, a weekly obscure uh, screenshot from the episode or from the, the movie that we're going to cover. And if you can be the first to guess it on Facebook or Twitter, we will mention you along with anything you'd like to plug. And this week for the third week in a row, actually. Oh my gosh. Is Ian Sokolowski, uh, who guessed it correctly on Facebook. Uh, and he wants to plug his, uh, his Facebook page this time. And that's at facebook.com slash Ian, the comic artist where he's doing some incredible illustration over there. You got to go check it out. The dude is, is, is just supremely talented. Uh, and, uh, he's also very good at guessing obscure screenshots. I guess so. (laughs) So go check out his stuff, please. Um, but yeah, this but yeah, here's more of the slow stuff. She walks to the beach. It's a long shot. And we know the bad guys are coming. And like you said, this is supposed to build tension. We're supposed to be building tension because That's what it's trying we to do. know that the bad guys are coming. And we have these long shots where our protagonists don't know. Our protagonist and his wife don't know that um, uh, the bad guys are coming. But we know. And so we should be really tense because... She's walking to the beach and not paying attention. And then she's swimming at the beach and not paying attention. And then she's sleeping at the beach and not paying attention. And then I get to the point where I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, we've, well, now she wakes up. Nope, not now. Nope. Okay. Well, we're going to walk back. Well, we're going to take a while. And now finally we're at the point that on the walk back, she sees the guys. But again, the action's going to get broken up because she's going to run back to the house. And then she's going to sit down for a nice cup of tea. And before, it, the movie keeps yeah. doing before that. Before she remembers she's a terrible parent. Right, right. And then... This bit of music through this sequence right here is probably my favorite in, in all of Brian May's score for this. Uh, and for the longest time, I thought, I did think that the Brian May that scored this movie was the same Brian May that is the guitar player for Queen. <laughs> um, I was I, I was wrong. Sadly. <laughs> very, very sadly, because uh, I, I just assumed, you know... Well, it's got to be the same Brian, you know, Brian May, and he's a he's a uh, a musician, so maybe he scored a couple movies. No, different Brian May. This movie does have a great score, and this is probably my favorite segment from it. And that's a really g- grotesque shot of the look. Kind of looked like a field dressed dog. Yeah, like they killed her dog and field dressed. Oh, it. I think we missed the moment where there were some birds, and she ran through, and they like flew yeah, up. Yeah, the birds of her flew face. up in her face, but like visually, that it's they were very different kind of bird shot than the one that I was talking about from earlier. That we're going to get a double yes. up on later, um, because like I said before, if you look for it in this movie, this movie does kind of lean on the idea of twos like things happen twice throughout the movie the movie is bookended with very similar chase sequences and there are different ideas throughout the movie that happen two times that are revisited that was a really rough cut right there by the way i don't know if you noticed it Mm. um maybe that maybe that's why he he prefers dissolves just in the middle of scenes because it's clear that at this point he didn't know how to he didn't really know what he was doing and to be fair, it might not have been George Miller at all, but his editor on this film. I love Mel Gibson's panic. I love when he's like distraught and like panicked and and rushing towards something because he's scared for someone he loves. He In every movie that he's in, I think he does that really well. Yeah. That's something I like with him. I like his particular brand of 
terrified for someone I loved and yeah. like upset about it at the same time as trying to take action about it. He's also kind of made a career out of playing crazy people like between the, and he's done it not just in these two um, franchises, but you know, he does it in this franchise and then he does it in the lethal weapon franchise where he plays the kind of off the rails rigs. Uh, and I mean, who would have thought that he actually was crazy <laughs> actually turned out to kind of be a, uh, yeah, okay, okay. crazy, crazy anti-Semite. <laughs> who, oh, who would have thought? Well, whatever. Um, what do you think of Mel Gibson in this movie? Separating Mel Gibson from his, you know, from the characters he plays, like Mel Gibson as a person, we can put that aside. What do you think of him in this film? And I, I like him. Like I said, I like Mel Gibson as an actor. Yeah, I, do I too. like him in the stuff done, that he's in. I think and, he's done good stuff. And I, I very much like even in this movie, I can see like what I was talking about. That oh, here she remembered she had a child. Yeah, here's a yeah another. I mean, it's the first time in the movie she remembered that, but right now it's really important because the baby's been kidnapped. Right, and um, she she has to like she's in peril, and she doesn't realize that her child may also be in peril until she's already sitting down about to drink a cup of tea. Yes. And then she's like, oh shit. And then my remembers baby. that she gave birth not that long ago. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The baby is still very, very young. <laughs> so she gave birth not that long ago. And also here's, here's another, this is a uh, uh, evidence, I guess, C or D. I don't know what letter we're on at this point of mm. bad parenting. She named her kid Sprog. And her and her husband have totally normal names, so there were other options. Yeah. Um, the guy that's up in the window, if you watch him throughout this scene, he changes poses. Does he? And he's always posing like something different and weird. Like right now, like he's changing right now. Uh, and he he eventually does like a crucifixion pose. He's oh, doing he? something else right now. Um. Yeah, you were asking about Mel Gibson though, and yeah, I do think that that as an actor, I like him. I like what I was going to say is that even in this scene there, there are moments where I can picture the same expressions and the same reactions in much, much, much later movies that he did. Like some like signs was popping up into my head when I was thinking of like him being distressed and concerned for his family. He's got like wide eyed. um, Did he ever work with Spielberg? Cause I feel like he's got a Spielberg face, like the, kind of wide-eyed wonder and bewilderment and he mm. can he can do uh you know that feeling really well yeah um i love i love toe cutter's reaction to may having the gun on him right. oh there's the crucifixion pose. yeah yeah, yeah. Um. may may comes up so may is this old lady that they go to her farmhouse she owns the farmhouse and her son i guess lives with her and there's obviously something um special about him mm. i'm not sure what it is i'm not is it her son i don't know i don't know that it's her son but uh, she lives but with someone she who's... i mean she has braces on her legs and stuff and you just perceive her as you know a character not to really be concerned with and here she is the one who who Pulls takes out the over the scene yeah yeah absolutely drags out the shotgun and she's obviously not used to handling it, but she's not certainly not afraid to handle it. And uh, yeah, she—I I like her. She's a she's a cool kind of side character that gets a little bit of screen time in this movie and does something memorable. Um, I like—I generally like the way this movie handles women. I well, think yeah. that it. I mean, if you think that, if you think this well. movie handles women well, you've got to see Fury Road. I know Seriously. you keep saying that. Seriously, it's a. Uh, it's pretty spectacular. Man, we really do need to get a sci-fi mural and, you know, put it on our car. 
We just we bought a brand new car. I'm not going to ruin it with a sci-fi mural. Ruin it. Ruin it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to improve it drastically with a sci-fi mural. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, so the we're about to get the the scene in the movie. I guess the inciting incident. Well, not the inciting incident. I don't know what you would call it. If it's this late in the movie, you wouldn't really call it an inciting incident. It's the moment that triggers Max's madness. Now this... Right here, you can see that the reason the car breaks down is because part of the fence got jammed into the radiator and it's leaking water out the front and the mm. car overheats kind of immediately. Um, but, the, he, I mean, Max was fixing the car. He was fixing something else on the car. I don't know if that was absolutely he necessary. He said the fan belt? The fan belt, yeah. I don't know if it was absolutely necessary for them to have like the fence post through the front because we've already established that there's something wrong with the car. I don't know. It's, it seems like it's a little. Oh, is that, oh, that is that why the car wasn't working? Is yeah, the there's fence a fence post. post? Oh, I just was. I always assumed it was just the fan we, belt. We missed it, but the the shot where May shoots the shotgun behind the car, there's a camera movement that like mimics the action of the gun like recoiling, and it's my favorite camera movement in the entire movie. It's fucking amazing. Now this shot right here of the shoe, the child's shoe, uh, I think this flying baby shoe is obviously a. a visual indicator of what has just occurred that Mary Lambert borrowed for a similar scene of vehicular child killing in mm. her adaptation of Pet Cemetery, Stephen oh, King's right. Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Um, now, I, I feel like there should be more examples of that in films that I can't think of off the top of my head. Of course, Mad Max and Pet Cemetery, and I think it's a trope. I think it might be a trope, the, an, an unidentified trope. The child shoe. Yeah, being the, the sign that a child has been hit by a vehicle. Yes, or maybe just that a child has died. Has died. Yeah, an aban- the yeah, shoe. the flying child shoe. You're probably right. If you can think of other movies where that is used as a visual indicator that a child has just been killed, uh, please write into us because I I would like to. Last week uh, we had. I would like to confirm that this is a, a trope or not. We asked some people to to write in about like what their childhood fears were from Jurassic Park. Yes. Like what were the things they remembered, and someone said something about raptors being able to open doors and that was that was I think pretty that fantastic. Was, I, I might fear. be wrong, but I think that was the same person who uh, we read a review from this week. I think oh, her name okay. is Amy McBroom. Yeah, I that think. yeah, that would um that sticks in my mind too is terrifying. Like once you realize that raptors can open doors and then you're sitting in your bedroom as a child with the door closed and you're like, a, well this isn't really gonna help. One. This was this Mad Max was not a movie that was part of my childhood. I didn't catch up with this until years no, later. No, me neither. My father never would have let me so, watch this, <laughs> yeah, no sure. shit. Uh, so I, I don't have anything like that. I don't have any, you know, things that stuck with me about this movie from childhood. That um, that scene we just had in the emergency room with his wife, where um, they basically talk about his wife like she's a car. Oh, we have the ogre mask here. See, and it happens in twos. We get the ogre mask again. We we See, set that, it up. And that we Mel bring it Gibson, back. that like trying to swallow his his emotions and like deal with it inside, yeah. but then he just can and he breaks. He, it's something he, that he only got better at through yes, his career. Absolutely. Too. Uh, in this shot right here where he walks through the garage toward the, uh, the, the, the black car, the pursuit special, he fades into the garage, uh, which is very subtle. I don't know that you could really notice that without watching this like in HD or on a very big screen. Mm. Um, but it is kind of an interesting way to, to kind of save time and to keep the, the, the forward momentum going in that, in that moment. 
Um, but yeah, they talk about his wife like she is a card. They actually, one of the doctors asks if she is salvageable or not when she's in the ER. Sounds like they're talking about a car. Mm-hmm. And um, the the disconnect that the doctors in that scene have with the patients, um, uh, referring to them like their cars and listing off the vital signs and stuff like uh, they they called something like a gro- they called her injuries a, a like a grocery list of problems or yeah. something like that. It's very disconnected and and objectified. They and, they turn they turn these these human problems into like objects right and then they also um uh don't seem to care that max is standing there even when they're talking about him specifically and like what should we tell the husband oh we'll just tell him she'll be okay or whatever (laughs) is basically the feeling you get even though they know he's standing right there and can hear them um and you had suggested that maybe that was some of Miller's commentary on doctors. Yeah, uh, actually, George Miller is a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, to save money up to make this movie, he actually worked as an ER doctor for a, quite a long time and uh, put a lot of his own money into this uh, into this movie. Um, and once you know that he was a medical doctor and you see like the things in this movie that might tip you off to that, like the extremely realistic uh, accident scene right. early in the, the movie. One, the scene that I'm saying we should cut out of the movie. Yeah, the but... scene, which might be why it's still in the movie, right. to be fair, because apparently he put a lot into that scene to make it very realistic. And having it been looked an ER cool. Doctor. Yeah, and it definitely looked cool and I realistic. I just thought it was unnecessary. unnecessary. And I agree. Um but yeah, once you know that, once you have that piece of context about his past and his history uh, with with the medical field, that scene with the doctors feels like an indictment, right? Yeah. It feels oh, I think very so. extremely pointed. Oh, here's your pole um, vaulting. Yeah, here's a, here's another thing that kind of gets revisited in in Fury Road and kind of makes Fury Road the perfect sequel to this movie and not any of the other uh, Mad Max movies. Just one, another one of many things. Uh, and that's the pole vaulting onto this truck, which is something that kind of gets expounded on and becomes a very big, uh, very big, uh, I guess, set piece mm-hmm. is the pole vaulting people in in Fury Road, which is a great. <laughs> I, mean, I can't I can't tell you how great everything in that movie is. Um, isn't it? Isn't it? Fr- I'm think I'm still thinking about Miller being an ER doctor. Isn't it frustrating when you hear about people who were very successful at two very difficult yeah things. you're just like really like why and can't you like, save some for the rest of man, us you fucks i would be okay being either a famous filmmaker or a successful doctor but <laughs> i'm not a huge fan of the sped up film in this movie there no there are there are moments There's in this mannequin. movie Here, here's a, a good example is uh in the shots of Goose riding his motorcycle before he crashes, mm-hmm. all of that stuff is actually him riding that fast. Like they are driving that fast down the road. And there's a lot of that in this movie, but some of the stuff that they weren't able to get at, you know, a, an actual like high speed, mm-hmm. they just sped up the film for. And you can tell, and yeah. it, I don't think it looks good. I think it looks really cheap and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of it. But they don't do that all the time. It's there. There's still quite a lot in this movie where you're like, "Holy shit!" They really are going that fast, and this camera is like inches away from the asphalt. Oh, this bike kit right here. I love watch, the watch. rainbow. There's also the rainbow. Yes, there is a rainbow. But watch right here. Boom! Oh, oh, oh man, that, where the guy gets hit in the head with his bike, and he like actually good. really does 
the stunt guy really could did not, get hit with his could bike. Could not have felt and good. And was okay. Apparently, he just got up and walked up. This shot right here was the first thing they it. shot for the movie. The very first shot that they that they they got is Johnny the boy breaking the uh, breaking the chain on the highway phone. Now we've got Toe Cutter here uh, finding photographs of Max's wife and child and Goose. Uh, which are the people that he is ostensibly on a vengeance quest for right now, only one of which we know for a fact is dead. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that they don't come back to in this movie is that the last we saw Goose, he was in the hospital. Right. Alive, I guess. Uh, And then the last we saw of his wife, she was in the hospital, and they said she was going to make it. Right. Now, if you don't count the sequels, because at the beginning of the second movie, you see him standing at the graves of his wife and child, so you know that she did die. Oh, okay. But without the sequels and this movie standing alone, there's no closure there. Yeah. With Goose or his wife. Why didn't he just kill them off? I, I I don't know. I'm not sure. That's the, that seems like the easy thing to do is that they're dead and he's crazy now. Right. Right. And that's it. That seems easier because, because also again, Oh, and here again with my pacing issues, um, we are literally stuck behind a tractor. That's, that's the crawl that the, the movie slows to. The movie to is stuck in traffic. In this, in the midst of this chase scene. Right. In an attempt though, in an attempt to build the tension and kind of give you a sense of, oh my God, they're getting away, they're getting away, get out from behind this thing. I get that, but to me it just felt like, um, I feel like the way the action is broken up in the second half of this movie does not do the thing that it intends to do. It doesn't make me impatient and frustrated in that way where I'm just like, oh my God, go, 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 go. You know, in the way it's, where it's like... Not, it's not, oh my God, go, go, go. It's, oh, oh my, my God, God, just go. go. Just, <laughs> it's like, okay, so when you're watching a horror movie and the killer is stalking toward the car and the girl is frantically trying to get to the car to start and it's not starting, right. that's the, oh my God, go, 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 where the tension has been broken in an or the the action has been paused in an attempt to increase the tension of the movie, and it generally works, even though it's cliche and stupid. Yes. And I'm going to criticize you if you do that in your yes. movie. But, um, but but in this movie, I feel like it it's just doesn't do it right. Ow! Ooh, them running over his arm does not feel good on no. my arm. No, to see that. But yeah, it just doesn't feel right in this movie. It feels like. Um, In this shot here, when Bubba drives toward him and gets shot off of his motorcycle, you can see the wire pulling him off of the motorcycle. So just keep your eyes open for that. But yeah, what I was saying before, though, before I got annoyed about being stuck behind a tractor in the movie and also being like, oh, it's okay to the other guy. Like, you can just go ahead, go on past. I'm just going to wait here and we'll let the other guy go. Um, uh, Was the fact that his wife not being dead does kind of have a loose end for me because he's the kind of character that I know we are waiting for the Mad Max for the Max to get mad but mm-hmm. um, but he still has someone who he has to take care of she's not dead they said she's gonna make it She and she's gonna need help the rest of her life her arm is gone and um, and he is is going on this vengeance quest instead of sitting there desperately with well, his there, wife. There is there is a bit of dialogue, like the last scene with Fifi, 
I don't know what he means by this because, again, it's either Australian or post-apocalyptic slang. But he says that Goose bought it. Yeah, I assumed that meant he was dead. I guess. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know. But you're right. They did say his wife was going to make it. Yes, they definitely did. Uh, and then as Max here is slowly going toward his car. And I do really like the shot. Like, I, sh- I love the shot of him dragging his foot behind him as he's hopping to the car. And, you you know, before you could see uh, you could see Bubba's body off to the left with a hawk on top of it. And there's the second half, the, the, the you know, the parallel shot. The of the bird. partner shot of the raven that we saw earlier in the movie. Um, still lots of that. You can go through this movie and find all of those little pears. And it's it's fun. Lots of pears in this movie. Not the delicious fruit kind, but... Right, a different kind of pear. Right. Spelled differently. <laughs> right. I'm not so good at spelling. <laughs> um, and the radio. We didn't talk about the radio at all, but you can listen to the radio throughout this movie, and it's kind of just incidental background sound uh, in a lot of places, but it does kind of flesh out the world. And early in the movie, you hear things like regulations that, that police are supposed to stand by and things like that. Uh, they're not supposed to use the word bronze because that's a derogatory term for a police officer. Mm-hmm. And you hear the bad guys in the movie refer to police officers as bronzes. Uh, and now we've got kind of the final chase scene between Max and Toe Cutter. And you're going to have this great shot, which is also a parallel shot to the death scene uh, of Knight Rider at the beginning of the movie where Knight Rider's eyes bug out right before he gets hit by a car right before he crashes. Mm-hmm. You've got the bug eyes there. And you can see the front of this truck. The front of the truck is not a real front of the truck. It's a mm-hmm. painted shield, actually, because George Miller uh, allegedly paid a truck driver 50 like, bucks. Yeah, like 50 bucks. That's to use his rig to run over the dummy and the bike, the tow cutter's dummy and the bike. And he didn't want to damage the rig, so he took the 50 bucks and they built a little shield and painted it to look like the front of his truck. Now, that shot right there is the real front of the truck. Right. But, uh, I mean, yeah. you know... Somebody gave me 50 bucks to do that. I'd probably do it. Yeah. Now you've got this whole sequence right here, which comes right before the end of the movie. And again, the, this whole ending here is so weirdly paced. And you get the impression that Max is just driving he's, all He's night. falling asleep. He's falling he asleep falling at the asleep wheel. asleep at the end of this movie. I know he's Mad Max. I know he's on his vengeance quest and he's going... That he he's not letting himself stop and we're trying to see how tired he is even though, you know, but he's not going to stop even though he's so tired. But he's literally falling asleep at the end of this movie, just like I do every time. Aww. There's some parallel imagery there for you. Me and Mel Gibson falling asleep at the end of this Aww, movie. Oh, that's, that's, but th- I mean, like, I feel like. I No, I don't care for the way the end of this movie feels in relation to the rest of the film, I feel like structurally it's flawed. Structurally, it feels really, really clumsy. But I do think that there that the the sequence itself is is good. Like I think there are a lot of great uh, moments in this in the last you know ten minutes of this movie. Um, I just feel like in in the grand scope of things, it feels like the end of a much 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 shorter film. Yes, and this movie is already pretty short. This movie is like. Uh, I think the original cut was 88 minutes. We're watching the 93 minute cut. So 
if uh, I'm going to put a note up, but I just realized that if you happen to be, for whatever reason, I don't even know if it's available anymore. If you happen to be watching the 88 minute cut of this, and by the time you get to this part in the, in the podcast, uh, your syncing has messed up terribly because we're watching the 93 minute cut. I'm really sorry. Man, you suck. <laughs> I don't think the 88 minute cut is available anymore. I think it's only this one. Um, but yeah, I will put a note up, of course. Uh, I mean, I say you suck as though like I do any of that kind of work on the podcast and I don't. Yeah, you do. You do. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So Max, uh, here's another thing that kind of gets borrowed for a movie that that comes later as this movie is wont to do. It it really inspired a lot of things that came after it. And I think that we owe a a debt of gratitude for that. as the classic as as the classic that it really is, um, but he sets up a something of like a Rube Goldberg device, kind of. Over, I mean, this took some effort. An somewhat overly complicated like f- fuse bomb with the car's fuel pouring into uh, a, a little, I guess, headlight, and then like a little path. For that, when the few, when the headlight fills up, it'll spill over and then go down toward a lighter. Actually, uh, Johnny the Boy's lighter, which we saw earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Again, another pair. Uh, and what he what uh, Max does is he hands him a hacksaw and he says, uh, "You can either hack through the handcuffs, which will take you too long and you will explode and die, mm-hmm. or you can ha- you can hack through your ankle and you might make it and you might make it, which is." something that Saw borrowed. Right, you know, exactly. James Wan borrowed for Saw much, much, much later down the line. And, and um, I mean, I think it's a pretty obvious borrow, too. Oh, yeah, very clear. So. Lots of stuff like that in this movie. Lots of stuff that we, I'm, I'm sure that we missed. Stuff that maybe we talked about on the podcast that, that is now gone forever into the ether. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, if you... If you notice anything in this movie that we didn't notice, anything that was borrowed for a movie later on down the line, and there's plenty of stuff, uh, feel free to write to us, post on our forums, post on our social media, and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that is the end of, of Mad Max, and we see Max driving off into the outback, um, going God knows where, even though his wife is still alive. Right. His wife is as still far alive, as we know. and he should be going to the hospital to go sit with her. I mean, what would you, would you be going on a vengeance quest right now? If I was still alive in the hospital? No, you'd be sitting there at the hospital. I mean, I know. I'd be going back to the hospital be like, I'm back, sweetie. Uh, I just came back from a vengeance quest. Um, and Toe Cutter and his gang tied are, up all, some loose ends. are all dead. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Don't, don't you worry your pretty, pretty little head about it and your one arm. Because she was, she was one armed. She was by the end of that. So uh, Knight Rider was played by Vince Gill. Did you know that? What? Huh? Knight Rider, Vince Gill. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought. I, I mean, yes, I get the joke you're making to the country music singer. Yes, and... I've got jokes. Uh, any final thoughts on on George Miller's seminal post-apocalyptic film? Mad Max. Um, I don't want to watch it again for a while. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm good on it. Um, it's been too many times this past week, uh, and I think, you know, I think that Mad Max Fury Road comes out on Blu-ray like next week, and I'm gonna watch the motherfuck out of that. Do I need to watch the other movies? We didn't talk about no. the other movies. I haven't seen either of them. No, you know, timeline-wise, they say that. 
The Road Warrior takes place five years after Mad Max. Beyond Thunderdome takes place like 20 years after Mad Max. And then Fury Road takes place who the fuck knows when after Mad Max. I don't, I don't, it might be even be a prequel. I have no idea. I don't think George Miller even cares. Like, I think he's just kind of created this character and he's just going to tell stories with him for as long as he can. And uh, that's, that's fine by me. Did George Miller direct the new one? Yes, he did. Oh. And he's an old dude just showing up all these young ass filmmakers with like the best action movie that's come out in seriously like 10 or 15 years. Man. It's fucking incredible. You really like this movie. I really love this movie. So uh, if you haven't seen the original Mad Max, I hope that you've watched it at this point. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast and you're at the end of it and you haven't watched it, then that's something's wrong, I think. Um, But I mean, you know, to each their own. Uh, But by all means, you've got to see Mad Max Fury Road. It's so fucking good. And also watch The Road Warrior because it's excellent. And without Mad Max Fury Road, I'd be like, watch the fucking Road Warrior because it's totally the best. But it's not Fury but Road. not anymore. <laughs> okay. Not anymore. Um, that will bring us to the, the end of this episode of Popcorn Poops. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. Please follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher where you can leave us a rating and review. We'll read it on the show if you leave us one. Uh, please sign up on our forums. we got lots of great discussion going on in the forums. We're constantly throughout the shows telling you, hey, if, if you want to say something about this, go post in our forums. We're serious. Go do that. You can do it on our social media too, but the forums can... We, we're trying to build a little community there, trying to make it a little bit fun. Uh, if you want to support the show... the no. Not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. Just a little bit. Just just enough fun. Right? <laughs> a modicum of fun. Uh, if you want to support the show, please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Sign up for their, their free trial. It's free. It's 30 days. It's their audiobook subscription service. You will receive an audiobook 100% free that's yours to keep forever. You cannot lose. The, 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 there's, there's just no losing. It's a win for us. It's a win for you. You get a free audiobook forever. We get your support. And, and also Audible wins. So, I mean, that's three wins. Three wins. You can't lose with three wins. You can't lose. Uh, and then every week, of course, we like to highlight uh, a friend of the show, uh, another podcast. This week, our Popcorn Poops podcasting pal is the In Session Film Podcast. Stick around after the show for a few words from them. If you want to become a podcasting pal, if you have a podcast and you want to become one of the pop- Popcorn Poops podcasting pals and get shout outs on the show, shout outs on Twitter and social media, uh, please get in touch with us. You can email us. You can you know, uh, direct message us on our uh, social media outlets. Please do that. Uh, and Jessica, what are we watching next, next week? episode, it is my pick, and we will not be watching Mad Max again. No. We will be watching Scott Derrickson's 2012 film, Sinister. Excellent. And that will be the last episode of our month of franchise originals. Yes, because now we um, are going to, whether or not there are five Mondays in the month, mm-hmm. we will only be doing four episodes each month. That's right. So four episodes a month. If there's a fifth Monday, we will be taking it off from now on. Right. Just because we're busier than we were. Because grad school. Because of our own sanity. We just need, we just need it. So you can check a calendar. If there's a fifth Monday, we're taking it off. Just bear with us. Also, don't forget to submit your requests uh, for, don't forget. for listener request month. There is a deadline. Please go to our forums and you can find all that out. And I guess that's it. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hey guys, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. 
It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InCessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you.